This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. I think I'm beginning to understand how baseball writers and podcasters are feeling right now with the MLB lockout and having absolutely nothing to talk about, no news, no anything, because that's pretty much exactly what's going on with UConn women's basketball this week. Last episode, we had a short episode because we talked about how UConn's first two games back from Christmas were canceled because of COVID. The Huskies were having COVID issues. Now, two more games have been canceled. The Huskies trip to Georgetown on Wednesday, January 5th, and their trip to Villanova two days later on Friday, January 7th, have both been canceled because of the COVID program, because of COVID problems within the program. We do finally have some information about what is happening, though, and how the outbreak kind of came to be. Gino Ariama had his first coaches show back since Christmas. We haven't talked with him because there haven't been any games and there hasn't been any media availability to ask him questions. But what we learned during the coaches show was that one player tested positive while they were still home for Christmas. So they didn't even come back to campus on the 26th, along with the rest of the team. A few more. He didn't say how many came back with symptoms and, quote, a couple tested positive right away. Quote, a couple more, unquote, tested positive a few days later. Then on top of that, AZ Fudd, Nika Mule, and Aubrey Griffin wouldn't have played regardless. That's what he said. None of them are ready to play right now. So that limited UConn's numbers even further. That's why they haven't been able to play. And then UConn, with recommendations from the Connecticut of Department of Public Health still requires a 10-day isolation period. And then Gino said that players need at least five days of practice after their isolation to be ready for games. So to break that down a little bit, this is really as much as we know is it has to be at least five players that tested positive because there's the one that tested positive at home and didn't come back. There's the couple that tested positive right away. And you don't say a couple if you only mean one player. So it has to be at least one player, unless Gino misspoke, which is possible, but it doesn't really feel like that. And then at least a couple more a few days later. So that's five. In theory, it could be more than that. It could be six, seven. We simply don't know. But at the same time, if a player tests positive, they're basically out for 15 days if you have the 10-day isolation period and the five days of practice back. And it could be even longer than that if UConn doesn't practice one day and then has a game, then it's extended by two more days. But that makes the timeline a little more clear about why UConn definitely couldn't play the New Year's Eve game at DePaul, why they definitely couldn't play on Wednesday at Georgetown. And even yesterday, Gino said he wasn't optimistic that they could play Friday and they didn't have a big window because they needed to get back to practice soon. Obviously that didn't happen. So their next game on the schedule is Sunday, January 9th against Creighton at home. We'll see if that one happens, but I'm not holding my breath at this point. I think 
that 15 day window, especially when you add on the injuries, they were only at eight players to begin with. So only two people being out with COVID or not being ready to play again means UConn doesn't have the seven players available to play according to the Big East rules. So if they can't field a team for Friday, I'm not super optimistic that one, two days difference is really going to matter for them. Yeah, especially because I think 15 days from the 26th would be the 10th. So it feels unlikely that they're playing before that. So hopefully by next week we'll get back to games. But I agree, I'm not holding my breath on that Creighton game. Yeah, I think it does help that they have, well, they don't have a natural break in their schedule, but they do have plenty of games coming up after that. So it's probably a little more ideal to come back on Wednesday, the 12th against Butler than it is against a decent Creighton team because I I get Butler and Xavier mixed up because they're both bad, but one of those two is really bad. They're like one and 11 and the other one is just kind of bad. I can't remember which is which they play them back to back though. So it doesn't really matter. Both of those, they could play with their eyes closed and probably win. Then it's the trip out to Oregon. Then it's Seton Hall. Then it's St. John's, which that one's not that tough. But then South Carolina, that's a really tough stretch right after that. So if you can get a couple more or less by game equivalents in against Butler and Xavier before then getting into that tough stretch to just even get your feet back on you, let alone start to progress without Paige Beckers and maybe get some of the other players in the lineup, that would be really beneficial. So nothing official about the game against Creighton, but just speculating. I don't really see it happening. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Butler is that 1-11 in 11 team, though, so they'll have at least a, an easier outing for their first game back, which is good. A couple of games to kind of get in the stride of things before, like you said, some of those bigger games coming up. Not to mention at the, after that South Carolina game, they play Tennessee, I think, a few days later as well. So that's going to be a really big stretch of important games. I believe there's like a week and a half between South Carolina and Tennessee. Oh. I think it goes ten or South Carolina on Thursday, at Providence on Sunday, at Creighton on Wednesday, and then I believe it's that next Sunday, the sixth. Yeah, that it's Tennessee. Yeah, right. Yeah. right after that is the eight weeks since Paige Becker surgery, which I think it would be best case scenario, best best miracle scenario if she was back on the ninth of February against Villanova, but. I feel like January is going to fly by and all of a sudden we're going to be on Paige Becker's watch. Yeah, agreed. But a lot happening kind of between now and then, I think. I mean, those Oregon, South Carolina and Tennessee games are really big games for this team. One, just to prove that they're like making strides from that Louisville game, but it's also kind of their last opportunities this season to get any kind of statement wins before the tournament. I think it is kind of a nice balance though. If you look at it, that, you really need that Butler game at least to just get everything back on the right track. Then Xavier shouldn't be too much of a challenge to just, if you can get your feet back under you against Butler, regardless of what it looks like, then maybe you can start building something against Xavier. You'll get a nice little test. I feel like it's a little far out to know who Oregon's going to have, but you get a nice little test against Oregon and then some good, not great teams in Seton Hall and St. John's to just kind of continue that progression without Paige Beckers. And then another test against South Carolina. I mean, look, that game's going to be a loss. I'm perfectly comfortable predicting that right now. They're going to lose that game at South Carolina. It's just a matter of how they play. And then Providence, not very good. Creighton, decent team. Butler, (laughs) Butler, 
and then Tennessee again. So I really like the mix of you got some high level games, you got some mid-level games and you've got some bottom feeders too. So we're going to see this team against a lot of different competition, assuming everything goes to plan, assuming. Yeah. And that should be an or better Oregon team than we've seen so far. They do have, I think Naya Rogers is, has started for them in their last game. So she's back. And then Nayara Sable and Tahina Palpa both played some minutes off the bench. So they're definitely starting to work those players back into the rotation. And by that point, hopefully at least one of AZ or Nika is going to be getting worked back into the rotation as well. Ideally both of them, but it sounds like Nika's closer than AZ. We don't know exactly by what measure, but Gino said that Nika was back at practice in a very limited capacity on Monday. AZ wasn't, I'm not really counting on Aubrey Griffin anytime soon. That's just what Gino's kind of hinted at. So whatever happens with her, we'll see. But ideally, UConn's going to be getting healthier over the stretch too, even if there is no Paige Beckers. And you just hope that UConn can get as many games in here as they can because every time they don't play is just another lost opportunity at development, at getting better without Paige Beckers. And we talked about how this is such a potentially big stretch, a promising stretch that they're going to be able to see what they can do without Paige Beckers. But then they've only played three games and it's been, I don't even, has it been close to a month or a month and a half since it happened. So hopefully they can get some more games and get some more experience without her so that when she is healthy and back, whenever that is at some point in February, I'd imagine they can just plug her in and continue rolling things instead of having to rebuild the team for the third time this season. Yeah, for sure. I think it has been a full month at this point. Like you said, only three games. And it felt like, you know, from the Georgia Tech to the Louisville game, they were definitely building towards something, but it's kind of disappointing to not see them in game action since that Louisville game where it's like, okay, something seems to be clicking, but you know, we haven't gotten to see them try to build on that in the new year yet. I'm nothing against Nika. We're obviously a very pro Nika podcast. But I'm very anxious to see what a healthy AZ could do without Paige out there, because I think one of the big things that we talked about with her, even though she was hurt, she still played tentative out there. And I think both things can be true. She wasn't able to play to her full abilities because of the injuries, but she was also holding herself back. If she's in a position where she has to kind of like what where Caroline is, where Caroline has to contribute and she has to be out there playing a lot of minutes. Is that going to speed her development along? Can she show some of the things that's made her developmental, not a developmental, a generational prospect, a number one recruit, one of the best prospects in years? I don't want it to be where AZ gets back for two games and is just getting her feet under her when Paige gets back. If she could get a nice run of four or five games maybe and kind of find a role for herself on this team the way Caroline has without Paige, I think that would be really beneficial. So it might not be the worst thing in the world with the way the schedule's worked out. If Paige's recovery is on the slower side, as long as there's no setbacks or long-term effects or something that keeps her out for the season, if it's just she's back in 10 weeks instead of eight weeks, I think that might actually help this team a little more, even if maybe another loss or two gets thrown in there. Yeah, agreed. I think just the way things have shaken out and that they haven't had as many opportunities to play without her as you would have expected at this point, it might not be the worst thing if it's, you know, 
takes a little bit more time for her to get back. Also, I mean, the fact that when she does come back, I'm sure she's not going to come straight back to playing her 35 yeah. plus minutes a game. So, like, there's going to be time to work on that even when she is starting to come back into the fold. I had this thought randomly last night as we'll discuss in a little bit. My Twitter mentions were being just utterly destroyed based on some of uh, the comments made by Gino on his coach show about Muffet McGraw. But the way that at least me personally, I don't want to speak for anyone else or you, but the way I've been looking at really this entire season since Paige went down is all right. Who really cares about the regular season? It's not all that important. If UConn has a great regular season and loses in the NCAA tournament again, and that's not to say there isn't value to the or the regular season or that we shouldn't be covering every game closely, but I've been covering this team seven years and you throw out the first half year that I was half covering this team when they won the national championship. Most years it's been, they've had a great regular season and then haven't really been able to finish it when it gets down to crunch time in the final four last year, I think also applies to that a little bit, even though it was different. So the way my brain has been thinking of this is just, all right, the regular season is basically just a stage for UConn to get ready for the NCAA tournament because they're going to win the Big East regular season. They're going to win the Big East tournament and they're going to make the NCAA tournament and they're going to get at least to the Sweet 16, probably at least to the Elite Eight. And then from there, it's kind of go time. Mm-hmm. And I know that Gino had a comment a couple weeks ago about how, was it a couple weeks ago? I don't remember where I saw it. It was something like, I'm coaching you for March, not the next game. So this thought kind of came to me specifically for Kristen was, I wonder if the reason that we don't see UConn developing super well, or we see UConn kind of have a lot of long stretches of struggles or certain players struggle for long stretches is maybe it could be really easy for Gino just to go to Kristen and say, Hey, if you just do this, you're going to have a great game on Wednesday, on Friday, on Sunday, but that might not actually benefit her long-term. It might be letting her back onto some of her bad habits and it's not making her better as a player overall. So if Gino's focusing on coaching them for March and just making them better players for the end of the season, I wonder if maybe that's why it looks so ugly without Paige. It looks so ugly even before Paige went down because he's not trying to make it look good right now. He's focused on what it's going to look like in I mean, now it's only two months away, which is a little terrifying. But what do you think about that? Does does that make sense? I don't know if I coherently explained that or not, because it makes total sense in my brain. But <laughs> as I'm sure the listeners of this podcast fully understand, that doesn't always translate into what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think it makes sense. I think especially if you think about it from like when they play an easier opponent, like when you come out and play Butler in this first game, like, yeah, you kind of can like probably steal the ball on half the possessions and just run the floor and win by 30. But like, what is that? do for them come march that doesn't fix a lot of their issues so it's more coaching about like you know over the overall picture instead of just like how do you win this next game where winning the next game is important and they're in a part where they're like winning games is important because it's going to significantly kind of impact what their part path to going to minneapolis is at this point but it's still it's more about how do you get everything to come together how you want it to in march not just you know how do you win this next game Right. And Gino Oriama, more than any other coach that I can think of, loves to not only play good basketball, but attractive basketball. He 
absolutely loves the fact that his teams are typically very enjoyable to watch, but I think he's more than happy. I don't know if happy is the right word, but he's more than willing to sacrifice that right now in order for progress. And I don't think that was even remotely the case in the three games without page Beckers, but even just as a whole, it seems like, as we've said all season, there's just something not right with this team. And I wonder if that's just, not that Gino's not letting it be right because obviously he wants to fix it, but if it just continues to come back to getting better for March and that requires some struggles right now, that requires some losses, that requires some ugly games, that requires Kristen to hit what might be one of the deepest funks of her career. I'm just very interested to see if we do see progress and it does start to come together and things do start to click. Or maybe we do get to March. I mean, even you go back to the 2019-20 season, uh, the Megan Walker Crystal Dangerfield year, where that team was miserable to be around for the entire season. Gino didn't even like being around that team. But something started to click at the end of that season, and they played pretty well their last five games or so, I'd say. And then COVID happened, and we never saw what happened in the NCAA tournament. But for as miserable as that season was, they were a lot better by their last game than they were even just a couple weeks before. So that's just how I've started thinking about the season is what does the next step look like and what does the progress look like and how much of a change are we going to see by the time they go down to South Carolina, by the time they play Tennessee, by the time Paige Beckers is back, by the time they are in the Big East tournament, NCAA tournament, Elite Eight, all of that. I think this is going to be way more of a grind at times than past years, but I think from floor to ceiling, this team has a lot of room to grow. And I think we're going to see that growth a lot. I'm not going to be the first one to start doubting the guy who has 11 national championships. I'm not like, again, to reference my Twitter mentions, (laughs) I'm not going to start pretending like someone who hasn't won a national championship in five years, but has gone to the final four every single year doesn't have his fastball anymore. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's one of the craziest takes I've seen on Twitter and quite frequently this year but agreed I think you know there's still a lot of room for this team to go and I think that's the right way to kind of look at a lot of these games even when you look back to the Louisville game like yeah they didn't win it but like looking at how the team's progressing what you're seeing from different people things like that I think is more important than like what exactly is the final number on the score sheet in some of these regular season games and I think that's going to be a big thing as they go into some of these tougher games that they've got coming up too is like how do things pan out in terms of like who are they getting contributions for what is looking different what kind of progress are they making I don't think you're taking much more away from like a you know a two-point win over Oregon than you are a two-point loss per se like it's more about what's the team look like and how are things changing Yeah. And I really don't want to come across as Baghdad Bob here being like, no, everything's great. UConn's going to be really good. No, I don't think it's a definite that they're going to reach their ceiling, but I still don't feel like what we've seen from this team means they're definitely not going to get there. I still feel like a lot of their problems are fixable. I still feel like a lot of their individual players can be playing better because if you told me that Olivia Nelson Adota was going to be having a much better year this year than Kristen Williams, I don't think I would have necessarily believed you during the preseason. I was very, very high on Kristen. And even though outwardly I was very high on Liv, I wasn't really all that sure it was going to come together for her, but Liv's been really good. And with Kristen, 
I have this theory that, so this is going to be a very, very niche reference, but for those of you who are soccer fans, Freddie Adu was supposed to be the great American soccer superstar. He was supposed to turn the U S into a soccer powerhouse. And there were people saying that if he didn't win a world cup with the U S which if you don't know soccer would basically be like, I don't know who's a good example. DePaul winning the national championship. Like, yeah, DePaul can compete on the national stage and have an upset every once in a while, but they're not going to go all the way. They're not at that level. And he was just a wonderkin signed his first pro contract at 14 years old and just never panned out, but he would have these flashes of his greatness where he would be really great. And a lot of the times those would come in tournaments and there's this great podcast by Grant Wall. I can't think of what the name of it was American prodigy where he talked with everyone in Freddie's life, the people that grew up with him, his coaches, his teammates, all those sorts of things. And I don't remember who specifically said it, but they mentioned how Freddie probably did so well at tournaments because it was just an easy way of focusing your mind. Okay. We just have to play for these three weeks it's do or die. We know exactly what we have to do. Whereas instead of a long season where it's all right, well, I got to bring this every single night and I got to handle this and this. No, you have a singular focus in the tournament. And with how good Kristen was in both the Big East tournament and CAA tournament, I wonder if she's maybe a player that is going to really thrive in a tournament atmosphere again, where even if she struggles the rest of the season, you get to the Big East tournament and you get through that. And then you have a nice two week break. I think she might be able to get into the postseason and just be able to switch something in her brain and become that player that we saw last season, even if that doesn't appear a whole lot throughout the rest of the regular year. Yeah, I mean, there's history to support the fact that she can be that player. So I don't like I don't think even if we don't see it for the rest of the regular season, you could be like, it's not going to turn on the tournament. You don't know either way, but like history says she's a better player than we've seen this year. So. You would think at some point that's going to click. Someone on our UConn Women's Basketball Weekly mailbag asked an interesting question about how UConn's 2017 and 2018 classes haven't really panned out the way that UConn probably would have wanted them to, which I think is fair to an extent. At the same time, Megan Walker was an All-American one year, a really good role player. Another pretty much every other program would sign up for that out of her recruiting class. But in recent memory, how many classes, recruiting classes, can have their legacy be altered depending on what they do? Because right now, Kristen and Liv, I think if you polled the general UConn fan base, I'm not saying I believe this, but if you polled the fans, would probably say that both of them have been busts based on what their high school recruiting rankings were. But if they win a national championship and they are instrumental in winning a national championship, which if UConn does, they have to be, that's really just necessity. Their legacy is going to be a lot different. Whereas if they flame out in the elite eight or the final four, again, I think their legacy is going to stay the same, but with someone like crystal Dangerfield, I don't feel like if crystal won the national championship her senior year, I would have felt differently about her because Crystal wasn't really the reason they weren't winning. She was part of the reason they, that they were even getting as far as they did. And I don't know, I, I maybe it would have been different with Megan Walker too. I, I have less of a feeling on that, but just the potential difference in legacy that Liv and Kristen could have 
where they are now and where they project to be if things go the way they've gone the last five years, or if they help UConn raise a title, raise a trophy at the end of the year. Uh, just the dichotomy of that was interesting for me to think about with that question today. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting because you're literally talking about like changing their legacy based on two more wins. Like that's literally all it is. It's like two yeah. more wins. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> what is uh, Brianna Stewart's legacy compared no. to Maya Moore's legacy over four more wins? Yeah. So <laughs> I think that whether fair or not, that's just always what it comes down yeah. to at UConn. And I think to a certain degree, it's important to fight that and not make it all about the national championship, because I think last year was an overall positive season for the program with the emergence of Paige and the other freshmen with, as we thought at the time, the emergence of Kristen, the way that the program kind of turned over so quickly, lost so many players, gained so many players and still stayed at the same level that they had been or arguably got better than they were the year before that. That was still an overall positive year, even though it didn't end with the national championship. Obviously the expectations are different, but not everything should be about national championships or bust, but in this case, that's how a lot of players are measured. And it's different when you're Carrie Bascom and you were before you were Rebecca Lobo and you were the first one to do it. But now it, if you don't win a national championship, it looks a lot different for you. Yeah. Which I don't know that it's entirely fair because some of it is like the landscape is changing too, right? Like when you think about like Stewie's year and how dominant like those UConn teams were, like you're not seeing anyone do that anymore. And like, I mean, yeah, a lot of that is just like Stewie is like one of those truly generational talents, but it's also like UConn just had such a wealth of talent on that team and it's definitely getting spread more. Like that's, that's not necessarily the case anymore. And so the landscape is changing too. So in some ways, like, I think you have to like adjust what the expectation is for a player because just because a player doesn't win a national championship doesn't mean that they didn't have a really good career at UConn. Right. I mean, Brianna Stewart is currently on track to become the greatest basketball player of all time. So not only do you have her on your (laughs) roster, but you had some of the greatest UConn players and teams around her as well to win those national championships. I mean, the fact that, Kalina Muscata-Lewis, who was the NCAA's all-time three-point shooter um, up until a couple of years ago, I believe. And, you know, Nafisa Collier and Katie Lou Samuelson, the two best, what was that stat? They were the two highest scoring teammates mm-hmm. in program history. They were freshmen when they won a national championship. Steph Dolson, a gold medalist, was there. I mean, there's so many players and I'm forgetting them, even just Mariah Jefferson and Morgan Tuck in the same class. And I know I'm missing so many players that I'm completely blanking on right now, but like those teams were ridiculously talented while also having the greatest player of all time, the future greatest player of all time, the greatest college player of all time at, at the very least that. So I think it's just so unfair to try and compare everything to the Brianna Stewart years but even still the Diana Taurasi years, it's not like those were great teams talent wise, but they were really good teams. They played really well, good basketball. They played really well together. I think that's the blueprint of what everyone not named Paige Beckers needs to do on this team, Mm -hmm. but the talent level on this with this year's team, I still feel like is a lot higher than those two years 
that Diana Taurasi basically won it on her own. So that's just a long way of saying that UConn is still more than capable of doing it. They just need to start to figure it out. I think, I don't know. I got a little sidetracked in my own head there. (laughs) Yeah. The talent level is definitely higher on this team. It's agreed. There's a, there's a very high level of talent on this team. I think the difference is like, it's not the only team that has all that talent. Yeah. Stanford and South Carolina very much have that talent too. Right. I actually haven't seen much of Stanford, but I do find it very funny that they've, I don't want to say they've fallen backwards into the number two spot, but we spent all preseason talking about how it was definitely UConn, South Carolina, and Stanford. And South Carolina has been exactly what we expected them to be. And Stanford kind of fell off early and then UConn fell off and now Stanford's where UConn was. Yeah. It's just, Kind of all they've all been in the same tier, but just at different points this season. Yep, yeah. And I think a lot of the Stanford makes sense. It's you know, they lost their senior point guard that was also their leading scorer. That takes a little bit to replace. So as much as they returned everything, they lost that. And I think even like the game where they played South Carolina last week, two weeks ago now, like really they hung around with South Carolina the whole time, but they just turned over the ball like 13 times in the second half, which kind of did them in. But like once they clean that up, which they will, I'm sure, like they're they're going to be right there in that top tier. Well, that's a perfect segue into South Carolina because, I mean, they've blown through their competition. I think they've played six teams that are ranked right, and they've all been ranked very high, or most of them have been ranked very high. But they've shown the last couple of weeks that they aren't invincible, and then, then Mizzou beats them on what's effectively a buzzer beater without their best player, their star player. It just shows that South Carolina is not unbeatable. And that wasn't the, it wasn't like that was one blip on the radar for South Carolina. They had had a couple of close games, including a couple of close games against teams that weren't all that great. So I think it just kind of further shows that for as good as South Carolina is, they're not one of those runaway trains the way that UConn was during the Brianna Stewart years or some of the Brittany Griner Baylor teams or some of the great Tennessee teams, that sort of thing. I think, again, they're definitely beatable. You just got to know how to do it. Yeah. And I think it's becoming a little bit more clear as you've watched some of these games that they've played in that are close, like how you do it, because a large portion of their scoring is still coming from, you know, Aliyah Boston, Zaya Cook and Destiny Henderson. Like, yeah, they have all this depth, but it's really those three players and what they did in that Mizzou game is Mizzou basically had like three defenders in the paint the whole time. So Aliyah Boston really couldn't be that effective. And a lot of their other, like, you know, contributors like to drive in the lane too. So they couldn't really get anything done. Then they had a defender on Cook and a defender on Henderson. So they're basically daring the rest of the team to beat them, which I I think most people would take those odds. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. I did find very funny in that game. I flipped it on for South Carolina's last possession in regulation So if you didn't watch, Missouri scored the game-winning bucket with 0.1 seconds left. And the rule is in college that you need 0.3 seconds to catch and shoot it, I believe, but less than that, you can tap it. So South Carolina ran a play where they basically just threw it high into the post for Leah Boston. And presumably she was supposed to just try and tap it in. Leah Boston catches, shoots it, banks it in, very clearly does not get off before the buzzer sounds but south carolina started celebrating briefly and then they started doing the classic like what do you mean that wasn't a basket it was like south carolina didn't understand the concept of a clock 
and how time works. <laughs> I just found that very funny. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was that. Yeah, it was that now over time. After also they allowed the the basket that they like allowed at the buzzer was the girl from the zoo just like drove through like three people in the lane. Like they're the best shot blocking team in the country. How is that? <laughs> How is that? How you lose the game? Right, and then that was out of a timeout too, wasn't it? Or no, was that in the flow of the game? I think it was out of a timeout, but yeah. <laughs> Which just to the further point. At, at least at that point, just send her into the court hard and make her hit the free throws. Don't let her just get that shot up clean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was a very entertaining game to watch. I don't think Missouri led until that point one seconds, right? No, they they had a, like a sizable lead. Oh, sorry. I meant in overtime. Time. Yeah, in overtime, yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, they had a size believe at halftime and then South Carolina came back. I think the real thing that got me from the South Carolina perspective is at the end of regulation, South Carolina had like three chances where they could have like taken the lead on two of those three possessions. Leah Boston did not touch the ball. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> South Carolina just loves taking the best player in the country and telling her to go be a role player. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would much rather see them miss three opportunities of Aaliyah Boston posting up under the basket because one, she's not going to miss those three shots, but like that's a better game plan than their guards chucking up a wild shot and not even letting her touch the ball. Also, if you get the ball into Aaliyah Boston, every single player on the floor for Missouri and probably someone from the bench is going to go collapse on her in the paint. Everyone else is going to be open. So you get it into her. You're drawing all the defensive attention away from either Zaya Cook, Destiny Henderson, or someone else. So just get her the ball, even if she's not going to be the one to shoot it. Yeah. I think that's something that I thought a lot last year, and still it seems to be coming out again this year, is that South Carolina fails to do quite a bit. It's not just that Aaliyah Boston doesn't take the most shots, which she should, but she doesn't always take the most shots. It's the number of possessions where she never even touches the ball in the paint. Like, I feel like Don Staley needs to be like, unless she touches like the ball, every single possession you're coming out of the game to drive it home or something, because it just, there's far too often long stretches where she doesn't touch the ball inside. Well, and I think something I'd be concerned about if I was South Carolina is that you are consistently finding yourself at halftime deficits. Yeah. It's great that you're making these big comebacks at the end of games and, you know, getting back and winning some of them and you, you know, you lose the one to Missouri, but that's not a sustainable strategy for the rest of the season. That's not to say that South Carolina is not going to improve in that regard. Cause it's not like UConn's the only team allowed to develop throughout the season, but if that continues to be an issue for them, maybe it won't bite them in the regular season. Maybe it won't bite them in the SEC tournament. Maybe it won't even bite them in their first five games of the NCAA tournament, but maybe they get to the national championship and they're playing Stanford or UConn, or let's just say the final four, they get to somewhere in the final four and they're playing Stanford, UConn or Maryland. And they go down by 10 at halftime. And they're like, all right, well, we've been in the spot before we can make a comeback. And then all of a sudden the other team pulls away by 20. 30. I just don't think that's a sustainable way to continue playing. And it's still early for everyone. We just reached into the new year, but that is something that I'm keeping an eye on with them. If you continue to put yourself in holes, eventually your shovel is going to wear out. 
or your ladder is going to wear out. Yeah, you're trying to climb out of the hole, not dig yourself into the hole. So eventually your ladder is going to break. Yeah, it's it's also something that I've been keeping an eye on. Even in these games against their like lower SEC opponents, like they played Mississippi State earlier this week, and while they weren't at a hole at halftime because that would have been an issue, like they're just not playing as good of a first half as they are second half. So you can kind of see that even when it's not a better team that's going to put them in a hole at halftime. Well, from the basketball court to the internet, UConn-Notre Dame might be dead as a rivalry. But Gino and Muffet McGraw are still going at it plenty. I think we talked about it last episode, and we might have glossed over it, that Muffet McGraw said essentially how UConn has an outsized influence in women's basketball and the way that NBC is Notre Dame's station or network. ESPN is UConn's network, which there are a lot of things, I think, that are wrong with that statement. But on the coaches show on Monday, Gino had his say, and yes, he just certainly did not miss his opportunity. We don't have the audios on the coach show, so I don't know if we can pull that, but these are the quotes, not the full transcript, but the big points quote. I guess Muffet's bored. I guess she don't have a whole lot to talk about. Usually when she was coaching, when she did talk, nobody listened anyways. I think the bias has to do, if there is any, with the 11 national championships, which is a lot more than two. I remember that on Sesame Street. 11 is a lot more than two. He then goes on to say, Notre Dame has their own network, being NBC. Our network is SNY. So I don't know why anyone would think ESPN is our network. SNY is the network that broadcasts all of, most of, the games. If people didn't want us watch us on television, I'm sure they wouldn't put us on. If we didn't generate the ratings, I'm sure people wouldn't have us on. So the combination of the fact that we win a lot, I do want to thank the people at ESPN for helping us win those 111 games in a row. I mean, if it wasn't for them, there's no way that we could have done it. So hopefully there's some people over there that can take some credit for that. I don't know that what we would have done without them. And he also said, she did say we won more than everyone except Tennessee, which again, I think she missed Sesame Street growing up. 11 is more than eight. Again, referencing UConn's national championships versus Tennessee's. So that, as most of Gino's better comments typically do, created a firestorm on Twitter that my mentions are still attempting to keep up with. I think there are two key points here. First, Gino probably went a little overboard in some of his comments. But secondly, it was also really funny like objectively funny and naturally people lost their minds over it. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Maybe saying that no one listened to her when she was a coach is, is crossing the line, but I mean, the Sesame street coach, the Sesame street part and the rest of it is, yeah, it's just objectively hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, it's the same fake outrage that we saw when Gino made the joke about how he loves being in the Bahamas, because if you lose, he can just walk into the ocean, keep on walking and never come back again. Another objectively hilarious statement that people took in the worst ways possible, trying to make it seem like Gino told his players to commit suicide if they lost, which is absolutely not what he was saying or anything of that nature. I mean, the the Sesame street thing, I don't know how that even comes into anybody's brain. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, the last time I've thought of Sesame Street, I don't even know. I, I don't even think that's hit my brain ever. 
where I, I saw something and went, you know what this makes me think of? Sesame Street. <laughs> I just, I don't understand how that comes to you, but really funny. Him calling scoreboard when anytime he's asked about all the success he's had, he usually kind of sidesteps it or has a pretty good answer about it. Just calling scoreboard and saying, look at the rings. I don't know. I, I just can't find any way that that's not really funny. Yeah, I think it's funny. And unless you like just really dislike, you know, which is fine. But like, I think you need to if you don't find it funny, like that's what it is. Probably should recognize that at least. Right. And I, I really don't mean to go down this path super far, but it's just the epitome of like, OK, take a joke. It's a joke. That's what it's supposed to be. You're allowed to laugh at things. You don't have to get offended just because Gino said something. Gino could be like, we should end world hunger and people would probably find a way to take it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and the way the world is right now, we could all use a laugh. So yeah, yeah, just take it as a joke and move on. <laughs> well, and it's three fan bases that yep. <laughs> are doing most of the talking that I've seen firsthand. It's South Carolina fans who like to pretend that women's basketball started to exist five years ago and hates, hate when Gino is mean to people while they're actively cyberbullying whoever they're currently talking to. That's South Carolina fans MO is how can I make fun of someone or how can I yell at someone for being mean while actively being as mean as possible? That is exactly what South Carolina fans love to do. I saw there's look, we're going to make fun of some fan bases for a bit. So I know this probably doesn't. uh, Okay. With South Carolina, this probably does represent the entire fan base, but there was someone that said something along the lines of actually I can find it. Well, yeah, the thing with South Carolina fans, too, is it's like it's not just one of them being made to you. Like you have an opinion that they don't agree with. And all of a sudden, 85 of them are in your mentions. Yes. Yes. <laughs> OK, so someone said how UConn fans were saying that, oh, well, UConn still gets the number one recruits. And they tried to claim that UConn doesn't get the top recruits. And they said um, number one recruit and top recruits are not the same. One is singular. The other is plural. And it's like, OK, well. Let's let's look at UConn's last few classes. They got the number one player in the 2020 class, who is the best player in the country when she's healthy. They have a very good post prospect in Aaliyah Edwards and a really solid backup point guard in Nika Mule out of that class. Okay. Then we look at this year's class and they have the number one player in the class who's supposed to be a generational player, which we haven't seen yet, granted, but she has been injured. The number five player in the class who has absolutely looked like one of the fifth best freshman in the country with the way she's played the last few games the number 15 player in the class who's shown some flashes has potential the next year they have the number three and four players in the class or is it four and five it might be four and five yeah i think it's four and five so and then to go to 2023 they have the number eight player in the class so yes i think uconn still is recruiting fine you can make arguments that they haven't recruited well for a couple of years before 2020 but right now, they're recruiting pretty well. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I just, they just, it's, it's just, it's too much. South Carolina fans are too much. And it's not just like my own experience. I've talked with like other people, other people on the oh, beat, yeah. other writers who have said, yeah, no, South Carolina fans have been really on a different level this season than they have in the past. <laughs> it's, it's a lot to handle. Yeah, <laughs> I know many people that have many of them blocked because it's just like it's 
too much. <laughs> it, there's just like, you can't swat that many flies though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess if you're persistent enough, you could probably get all of them, but it's just relentless. Then the next faction is Tennessee fans who, I mean, the first thing that I saw that was really funny was someone claiming that UConn has 11 national championships. Tennessee has eight. Three isn't really that big of a difference, which is kind of funny considering I believe there's only like three or four programs that even have three national championships total. So yeah, no, I actually would say that is a big difference. That That is a quite sizable gap. There were also some people making arguments that because Pat Summit retired before she planned to, that UConn's national championships after she retired shouldn't count while completely leaving out the fact that Pat Summit started at Tennessee 10 years before Gino started at UConn. So should we not count the national championships before 1995? So if we count 95 to what is it, 2012 or something, UConn still on top and UConn also beat South Carolina for a bunch of those national championships. So that one doesn't really work either. From my interactions with Tennessee fans over the years, they just really struggled to grasp some basic concepts. Like when the whole Avita Westbrook thing was happening and Gino was explaining that there are three options. You can support a waiver. You can uh, be against a waiver or you can do nothing. And how Tennessee did nothing with Avina and South Carolina fans somehow took Gino's statement to say that Tennessee, I don't know if I said South Carolina, that Tennessee opposed it when their athletic director said they didn't oppose it. They really struggled with that concept. So there was that. And now they're like pounding their chest because Tennessee is ranked seven when UConn's what, 10 or 11, as if that makes any difference. And one argument was, well, who's Tennessee's big star? I can't think of her name. Ray Burrell. Yes. Oh, well, Tennessee doesn't have Ray Burrell. Yeah, that's drastically different than not having not just Paige, but also AZ, Nika, and Aubrey Griffin. But whatever. Anyways, some things that are just such simple concepts are so difficult to some of these fan bases. It is unbelievable. Yeah. The news I got today on my Twitter feed from South Carolina fans and Tennessee fans is they don't really understand, seem to understand the idea of COVID postponements because they think Gino is ducking games. That's that's the new one today. <laughs> they uh, yeah. are actively trying not to play. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Gino doesn't want to play noted powerhouses Marquette, DePaul, <laughs> Georgetown, and Villanova. Yep. So that, that's a new one. Say so, also, I find it amusing that the South Carolina fans are talking about how he has to have five days of practice because I'm pretty sure Don Staley has something similar because Lily Grisette and Sanai Fagan, I think it is, that are out on COVID protocol for them are back on their bench but not playing. So they they don't have COVID actively and they're not playing. So the rules must be probably pretty similar to what UConn's doing. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like you don't want to put your players in a position where they could get injured. <laughs> I don't know. It's a pretty tough concept there, I gotta say. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's it really is insane. And then there's Notre Dame fans who just want to try and be relevant and they think this is their chance, but nobody actually cares about them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was is a, a uh, fun little firestorm currently happening on Twitter. So much pearl clutching. People love their pearl clutching when Gino says anything that even hinges on being a little controversial. It's look, Gino definitely crosses the line. Sometimes I'm really not trying to say that, but 
the overreactions that people have to even minor things. Like remember when he said he was talking about Luka Doncic uh, with Anima or, and then referenced Anamakara and joked that he got the wrong immigrant and people somehow took offense to the fact that he used the word immigrant when he himself is an immigrant. Yep. <laughs> so it's something else. <laughs> look, never a dull day when you cover Gino Oriyama. Never a dull day. Italy should make him their patron saint of basketball, though. Yeah, I did see that this week, and I'm very here for it. They should do it. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know who else you could pick that would be more of a perfect option. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, yeah, he's Americanized now, I guess, but it's not like he's still not actively Italian, too. <laughs> so... I, I I simply just want that to happen to watch the meltdowns from everyone else. Yeah, it'll just be fun to watch on Twitter. It really makes no difference in the world, but it'll be fun to watch the reaction on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> People will be like, see, Muffet was right. He has an unsized influence in the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I need that to happen just for the discourse. Yep. Exclusively. <laughs> see, like I, I've just been sitting back and watching it come through on Twitter and it's honestly just been more enjoyable than anything because some people had really funny responses to what Gino said and the people that are overreacting are just it's fun to laugh at them so (laughs) I've just been enjoying sitting back and watching it all unfold one person was like what's Gino done in the last five years like besides (laughs) go to the four final fours other than that yeah nothing yeah, I don't, like, understand where this take that, like, UConn's no longer relevant comes from. Like, what other program has been to the Final Four the last, well, I mean, for the last however many years, but even though they haven't won in the last national championship, like, the last four years, no one. So, like, where are you coming from with this? <laughs> yeah, and they also went from winning four national championships in five years from 2000 to 2004. Then they... I don't want to say they fell off a cliff, but they definitely rolled down a hill for a little while. Came back with, I believe it was the first back-to-back undefeated seasons in NCAA history. Had a quick little two-year break, then became the first team ever to win four straight national championships. So the fact that they bounced back from that, and people think they're not going to bounce back from winning from not winning a national championship five years in a row, even though they went to every single final four in that time. It's, I think it's people just trying to project their hopes <laughs> instead of it, yeah, them yeah. actually, uh, you know, what's the word like joining us in reality. <laughs> yep. Fun times. I, I just want to cover a UConn national championship. That that's all I want. I, that's something that I haven't been able to do before. I don't know what that's like. I just want to be able to do that. Yeah. Honestly, at this point, I'll settle for just being allowed to go to Minneapolis because the way things are trending. <laughs> the one but, thing that I'm holding on hope to is that things turned so badly so quickly that not that I believe this, but I'm just going to pretend like I do. Maybe things will turn the other way just as quickly. We can hope. Yes. <laughs> I'm only reading like articles that have positive outlooks on how this is all going at this point. I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> it makes me feel much better about my decision not to book a Final Four plane or yeah. a plane to Minneapolis back in like September, though. Yeah, <laughs> I know. A few weeks ago, I was like, oh, maybe I should do that. I'm glad I held off. <laughs> well, actually, 
I think it's less about if we're allowed to go to Minneapolis because they had True. fans at the final four last year. So it's more of, do I feel comfortable? Going to yes. It, it, it's definitely more in that regard because I was not going to Texas in, <laughs> in March and August last year, mm-hmm. even if it was feasible, which it really wasn't. It might be different in April. Hopefully. Yeah. I would, I would really like, I've heard good things about Minneapolis. The storylines if Paige wins a national championship yeah. in her hometown would just be very fun to write about. I just would like that experience of covering a national championship. Yeah. And I would also like to go to a final four. That's not in like Tampa. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we need to rehash this, but yeah. I agree. <laughs> no, I'm actually kind of disappointed that there isn't a Tampa one coming up soon because I had my five-year high school reunion around Thanksgiving time and someone that I went to elementary school with and like knew all growing up, like not one of my close friends, but um, she is a TV reporter down in Tampa. And she was like, Oh, well next time they have a final four down here, like I'll be able to show you all the good spots. So it's like, okay, I think I would have enjoyed Tampa more if I had someone showing me like where to go and where the fun places were. I think it would be a different experience with that. Uh, so I am told I, I would have to confirm firsthand, but so I am told. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Over under how long has it been since Gino's walk into the ocean comments? Has that been like a month and a half? Yeah, it was what, right before Thanksgiving. So yeah, a month and a half. Okay. So let's just say over under between now and the end of the regular season or before or after the end of the regular season, when will Gino say something that, gets everybody mad again oh definitely under yeah 100 no, it could be in the next week too yeah <laughs> i don't even think he's talked about the candace parker stuff yeah he hasn't people are mad that he didn't talk about that but talked about the judo stuff too so they're mad that he said or the muffet stuff so they're mad that he said something about muffet but also mad that he didn't say something about that i don't I, he can't win obviously <laughs> you don't you're not trying to say that people act irrationally when it comes to Gino and Yukon, are you? Never. That is quite an accusation there. <laughs> it's just so weird being in this position, trying to cover a team objectively that obviously you have the Yukon fans, which that's fine. I have no issue with that. Although you could make an argument that sometimes Yukon fans are more critical of the team than is reasonable yeah 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 (laughs) but let's just throw all the UConn fans on the positive side to make things easier and then this faction of people where Gino is the literal antichrist (laughs) and then here we are just trying to walk down the hallway what's the uh I feel like there's some famous movie where like guys walking down the hallway trying not to get grabbed. I don't know. I very well could be making that up but we're just trying to walk down the hallway and not get dragged been beaten by either camp so <laughs> it's a very fine line to walk yeah. especially with just how over the top people have been this season in particular yeah i feel like people are just bored of sitting at home that's probably what it is but yeah. <laughs> the, the internet has been an interesting place to which i say join the club yep <laughs> how do you think we feel not having a game to talk about for three weeks now or going on three weeks but hey we just pumped out and i don't even know how long podcast <laughs> about nothing we just yeah. we just produced the seinfeld of podcasts <laughs> i think the only if we really wanted to cap off a true nothing chasing perfection podcast we could start discussing food options but 
I think I think we'll save that for another day. <laughs> yeah, in case we have another time that we need to fill. Look, we're done with this. <laughs> it's it's very possible by our next episode when we record next Monday or Tuesday that they still haven't played another game. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get a guest. I had this idea that we should come up with a prompt or like a bunch of questions and then just go and start calling like random people that we know and getting their take. And then immediately when we get it, like hang up on them and move on to the next person. Not to spoil next week if we don't have anything, but like, like just have like a queue of our friends in the women's basketball world ready to go. And they come on and they give us like one take and then we move on. So we just go rapid fire through everyone. I like it. That's what's happening next week if there's no games. So yeah. <laughs> we'll start lining everyone up now because I, again, my confidence in that Creighton game happening is very, very low. No, no, no inside info on that. Just, I really don't have a good feeling about it. We're going to go from having no games into... Uh, three games a week and I'm not gonna know what to do with myself (laughs) yes yes well hockey also starts beginning to have three games a week so (laughs) it's gonna be a fun next couple months for me I I don't even get any trips the rest of the year because I don't think I'm going to South Carolina I don't I don't think I need to subject myself to uh well it's probably going to be a pretty hefty loss you know everything going on with COVID all that sort of thing so that's disappointing yeah, the the mask wearing and that not that it's any better at UConn, but the mask wearing in that arena does not give me any confidence that I would like to be in it. <laughs> yes, yes. So, like, what even is the next legitimately exciting thing to look forward to if you're UConn besides like a game? I guess it's Paige Becker's coming back, right, or one of the other injured players. Yeah returning but it's not like there's one game that we have circled on the schedule to look forward to with south carolina kind of being different than what we expected it to be yeah i feel like you know like oregon south carolina and tennessee those three games because even if they can't win them like you're gonna learn a lot about this team in those games a lot more than you're gonna learn about them playing against butler not that i even remotely think it's gonna happen but the meltdown from South Carolina fans if a shorthanded UConn team beats them at home would, oh, it would be glorious. I would really enjoy that. I don't think it's going to happen either because I, I don't think South Carolina is going to like let UConn come in and do what Mizzou did, but they did. I would get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Well, UConn's roster, as we last saw it, is at least better to face South Carolina than if it was the opposite. I mean, you could throw those three bigs out there and have Amari DeBerry coming out to spell them yeah, and then just rotate the guards. So, I mean, assuming you have another one of the guards back by then, you're not in terrible shape. No. Like it yeah. could be worse. It could be worse. I feel like it's all going to depend like what kind of night Zaya Cook and Destiny Henderson have. Like, cause they shot horribly against Mizzou. They've had like their best shooting nights of the season against UConn. I don't think we've seen South Carolina be the team to beat before, right? Because last year they were a one seed, correct? But they yeah. they were still the number. Yeah, I think Stanford team. was the top overall seed. Yeah, and Stanford was the favorite in that Final Four game, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and they were probably the number. Like I don't know what it actually panned out to be but if you just looked at it it was probably UConn behind Stanford 
and then like South Carolina was is was behind Stanford and UConn. Whether or not the committee put them like that, right. I don't know. But they were still probably the third favorite to win that national championship. I can't think of who was in the top region NCAA. or the bottom region. Oh, that's right. So, and then the year before that, it got canceled, but I still would have called Oregon the favorite. So, yeah. No, if you ask South Carolina fans, they would disagree considering they, they hung their number one in the AP oh, poll banner yes. for that. Oh, yes. More than aware of that, but I, I still think <laughs> this Brini and Escu team was more of the favorite there. And I mean, it's all moot because it didn't happen, but we've never actually seen South Carolina go into an NCAA tournament as the favorite, which barring something unforeseen, they will this year. So. We'll see how they handle that pressure. Probably fine, but yeah, I don't know. I, I have a weird feeling that, that they slip up. I wouldn't be surprised. I think the issues that I see with this team are the same issues you saw last year. So that's, that doesn't bode well. <laughs> I will take a very loud victory lap if that does happen. And if it doesn't, look, I just thought South Carolina was one of the best teams in the country all year long. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm more than happy I mean, to sit on both sides of that fence. Yeah, both of those things can be true. <laughs> they can be one of the best teams in the country, but have some pretty obvious flaws. If they don't, it'll like if they don't make it to the final four or whatever, it will 100% be because they like decide to not give Olia Boston the ball. Oh, no doubt. Or Olia Boston has like the worst game of her career. Yeah. Something like that. Weird. Yeah. That seems less likely than them just not giving a bust in the ball. Oh, no, I fully agree. But, <laughs> you know, bizarre things happen. This is true. <laughs> the NCAA tournament does weird things to people's heads. Yeah. I'm very interested to see what this NCAA tournament looks like, because presumably it's going to be the normal format where home games at high seeds, the normal regionals, and then everyone goes to the final four as opposed to the bubble last year. You'd think. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine they're going to throw together a bubble in whatever time they'd need to, but I don't know who knows. I think it's going to largely depend on how everything evolves. Like if the world is like this, I don't know how you don't create a bubble because you're going to have players out left and right. I wonder, see the reason I'm really curious about what UConn's numbers are. And I mean, this is not something we will ever know, but which players got COVID because if the 90 day window thing, where once you get it, you have 90 days where you're pretty much, safe from it mm-hmm. depending on how many players and who got it UConn might actually be in a pretty good spot for the rest of the season yeah or at least until the final four which though that would be disastrous but yeah. you know you'd hope that things are in a better spot by April yeah. so there could be a silver lining you'd rather have this happening now than yeah. I mean if this started after the Big East tournament you very well could be done mm-hmm or going into the first game of the NCAA tournament against, you know, whoever, the 13 seed, mm-hmm. or the 14 seed, whatever it is, with PF Gabriel as your starting center. Something like that where you're really shorthanded somewhere. So, I mean, we don't know, so that still could be a possibility, but at least those five players that we think at least – tested positive are in the clear for pretty much the rest of the year yeah that is true well on that note that's going to do it for this episode of chasing perfection you can follow megan on twitter at megan gower you can follow me on twitter at daniel v Connolly. be sure to subscribe to the show tell a friend leave a review on 
Apple Podcasts, I believe it's called. Read the UConn blog. Sign up for the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Megan, any words to send us into this next week, which we don't even know what's about to happen with it? (laughs) Just fingers crossed that we get some actual basketball to talk about. That'll do it from us. Thanks for listening.